0: Hello, and welcome to the Appetence Family Podcast. My name is Amy Polinich, and I'm the creator of Appetence Families, where I help mamas to live simply, birth simply, and parent simply. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's bonus episode. We are talking to Caitlin Pender, who is a women's health physio. Now, Caitlin doesn't have any babies, and this is not a birth story. This is an educational podcast on all things pelvic floor in the pregnancy and postpartum period. We talk about signs and symptoms of having a dysfunctional pelvic floor, how to enhance the health of your pelvic floor in pregnancy, how the pelvic floor can have a massive effect on your birth experience and completely change it and then also the importance of postnatal recovery and how to get your pelvic floor to full optimal health after birth. Now, this podcast is a nice little sneak peek into some exciting things coming up. So Caitlin and I are running a workshop here on the Sunshine Coast on August 21st, and you can book tickets through the website. So that will be about the pelvic floor in the pregnancy and postpartum period and how to enhance the health of your pelvic floor from Caitlin, the Women's Health Physio perspective. And then I will be talking about, from a midwifery perspective, tips and tricks to help with your breastfeeding in the immediate postpartum period. Now, if you've heard anything about breastfeeding, yes, it is beautiful and natural and lovely. However, it is potentially one of the hardest things to initiate that you will ever do in your life. And time and time again, my Abitant's mom has come back and they will be breastfeeding, but saying it was the biggest challenge of all. So these tips and tricks can really help you on your little path through the postnatal period. Now, what else is coming up in Abitant's families? We have our pregnancy yoga every Sunday, we have postnatal yoga every Tuesday, our body balance workshop, which I recommend as soon as you can after 20 weeks gestation to come along to, and that's about every six weeks on a Tuesday evening, and our Abitant's birth workshop, which is so much fun, and that is on a Saturday, and it's about every six weeks as well. So you can check out the website to get the exact dates on those, but for now, now, let's get into this epic episode. Alrighty, thank you so much for joining me on the Affordance Family Podcast, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. So, you are a women's health physio and a yoga teacher and a Pilates teacher. Do you want to tell us where you started and where you're at now in your career?
1: Absolutely, Amy. So, I suppose it's quite funny because I finished university and the one thing that I knew that I didn't think I wanted to do was women's health. I said, I don't know what kind of physio I want to be, but I don't want to work in women's health. I thought it was disgusting that we had to do internal exams and I thought, no, not for me. So like many physios, I went and chased the sporting dream to work with a sporting team. And I started working In the AFL in Canberra in the middle of winter, standing on the side of a sports field and decided pretty quickly that that wasn't for me either. So then when I finished uni and moved up to Harvey Bay, there was one women's health physio that worked in the area and she would come and treat in our clinic one day a week. And she said to me, Caitlin, we are really short of women's health physios up here. Can you please do your training? Please so I said, okay, that's fine. I'll learn a bit more about it. I'll go and do my training. So I went and did my women's health training and started seeing clients. We had a close relationship with one of the gynecologists up there and she started referring me a lot of patients. So I was really thrown in the deep end. It's like you do... Um, a week of training and then some online modules and you're doing all this practical stuff and then all of a sudden you've got patients that you're expected to see and treat and it can be very awkward and confronting at first and the stuff that I was doing up there I was seeing huge results so I'd see women coming in who had severe symptoms of pelvic organ prolapse or major urinary incontinence to the point where they were afraid to leave their house without, you know, a pad and they it really was impacting their quality of life. And I started to realize how much of a difference I was making in these women's lives and just really started to find my passion. I started to realize how little of this information we were taught as women and how important it is for our overall health. So ever since then, I just haven't looked back. I started seeing a lot more women's health clients. I moved down to the coast a few years later and started seeing more and more pregnant women pre and postnatal and just really found my passion for women's health. And here I am today running my own uh, women's health physio business and teaching pre and postnatal Pilates and yoga.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. That's so nice. So meant to be.
1: Yeah. Really interesting journey, but very passionate about sharing this message. I started to realize how much. We need to get this information out there and how it should be common knowledge. It should be something that we teach young girls through school and it's just not spoken about. And there is this push and it's a really exciting time to work in the industry because there's such a shift towards, you know, getting this knowledge out there. And our generation is really just starting to talk about some of these taboo subjects. Social media is starting to expose some of these topics that maybe once were a little bit harder to expose. So I think it's a really exciting time to be working in the industry.
0: Super exciting. Super exciting. So jumping straight into our pregnancy and postnatal periods in regards to women's health physio, we would be mainly talking about the pelvic floor. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So I think it's undervalued how important it is to bring awareness to the pelvic floor in pregnancy. So the pelvic floor has three really important roles. It helps prevent leakage when we cough or sneeze. It helps us eliminate our bladder and our bowel when it's convenient. But it also plays a really important role in sexual function and on holding our our internal pelvic organs inside. So during pregnancy, with the weight of the baby, the pelvic floor is under huge amounts of load. So it's said to be the equivalent of a 100 kilo man standing on a trampoline wow at in the third trimester so he's under a huge amount of force and load and it's not uncommon for pregnant women to experience urinary symptoms like leakage when they cough or sneeze or even just a heaviness vaginally and these are all indications that their pelvic floor is not tolerating the load so really important to learn and connect in with this muscle Because it can help so much through pregnancy, through labor, and also really important in the postnatal period. So the earlier that you can learn how to engage your pelvic floor properly, the better the outcomes are going to be. So teaching women where their pelvic floor is at, because there's so much variety in the pelvic floor tone. So there's a large spectrum and some women might have a really overactive pelvic floor. And symptoms of that might include leakage sometimes when they cough or sneeze because it's so tight that it's not allowing it to relax, but also things like pain with intercourse or pain with tampon use or pain with a speculum insertion when they've had a previous pap smear. Those could be signs that the pelvic floor is overactive, but at the other end of the spectrum signs that the pelvic floor might be underactive are your more common things like leaking with cough and sneeze or not making it to the toilet on time or leaking when they jump. Uh, Those are signs that the pelvic floor perhaps is a little underactive. Now, these days I see a huge range from overactive to underactive. And as I said, it's a spectrum. The pelvic floor can also be hypertonic, which is basically means that it's more on the overactive side but there's not symptoms of real overactive pelvic floor and there's not necessarily pain with intercourse but the hypertonic pelvic floor means that the pelvic floor is constantly in a slight state of contraction now the pelvic floor it sits literally at the floor of our pelvis it runs from the pubic bone at the front to the tailbone at the back And it's got a really important role with our respiratory diaphragm that when we breathe in and our diaphragm, which is the muscle that sits underneath our rib cage, that it's like a a dome shaped muscle, like a mushroom cap. When we breathe in, it, it flattens, it presses down and the pelvic floor stretches gently. And then when we exhale, the pelvic floor and diaphragm recoil. Now, this happens all day long, rhythmically contracting up and down. But what's so commonly happens these days is women become upper chest breathers. Okay. So that might be because of a stress response in their body. They may be stressed at work. They may be anxious and therefore the diaphragm isn't pumping up and down and the pelvic floor is no longer getting this gentle rhythmical stretching and therefore becomes a little bit higher tone. So it's constantly slightly gripping as you start to breathe into your upper chest because the diaphragm's not moving. The pelvic floor, I think, is like other places in the body that we can hold stress. They say that the pelvic floor is our tail. It's literally an extension of our tailbone. And if you've ever seen a dog when it's stressed or scared, it'll tuck its tailbone under. So sometimes we will grip our pelvic floor without even knowing. And this is where it's really important to become a bit more in tune with it so that you know when you're gripping your pelvic floor, just like more commonly women do recognize when they're stressed at work or when they're having a stressful period, they'll start to grip in their jaw, they'll start to tense their jaw and they'll feel it and they'll know, or in their upper shoulders, they might be tensing. But the pelvic floor mimics this contraction, it creates this slight constriction and tensing. And then because it's tense all day long, It doesn't know how to let go, which we'll talk a little bit about the importance of that for labor. But then it's almost as if it's so fatigued and when we need it to work properly, like through pregnancy, it's not able to contract to its full capacity. And I liken this to if you imagine walking around with a, let's say, a one kilo dumbbell above your head all day, you're walking around and you're asked to hold it there as long as you possibly can. And then you finally get to put the dumbbell down. Your arm is absolutely exhausted. It's only one kilo, so it's not very heavy, but you've been carrying it around all day long. And then all of a sudden someone asks you to pick up a bag of groceries and put it on the bench. So your arm is so fatigued that this ordinary, fairly mundane task of lifting a bag of groceries onto the counter is now really difficult. And the same thing with the pelvic floor. If you've been holding this constant tone in the pelvic floor, because maybe you're stressed at work and you're breathing into your upper chest, or maybe even the diaphragm's having a bit more trouble moving because your bub is growing and so the belly is expanding, making it harder to breathe. And then the pelvic floor is gripping, but you're not aware because we're very out of touch with our pelvic floor. So you're holding it in all the time, and then say. You cough or sneeze or you're busting to go to the toilet or you go for a run and it just cannot hold for that long because it's already so fatigued from being on all day. So this is basically where it can sit anywhere on a spectrum and it might not be really overactive to the point that it's causing pain. It might not be really underactive to the point where you're noticing symptoms of dysfunction, but it might sit somewhere in between. And that's where identifying this early on Um, ideally even preconception, to enable you to identify where exactly in the spectrum your pelvic floor sits, identify whether you're adopting poor breathing habits, whether you're gripping through your pelvic floor through the day, whether you know how to turn the pelvic floor on and off well. And then we can start you on a strength program depending on where you're at and practicing turning the pelvic floor on. And turning the pelvic floor off and strengthening it in a variety of different ways. So when we do strengthen the pelvic floor, much like any other muscle in the body, we need to work on function. We need to work on power, on speed, on endurance. We don't just want to turn it on and off. And this is where women's health physios for a long time would just focus on turning it on and turning it off, which is only going to work for a handful of tasks. So if we cough or sneeze, we need the pelvic floor to be able to contract really quickly. But if we're lifting something really heavy, let's say we're at a, a gym class, we might need the pelvic floor to contract quite strongly. If we're, say, going for a run, we might need gentle tone in the pelvic floor. So it's learning all of these different things and it's really comes down to the principles of training any muscle. If we went to the gym, we might start with some rep max training to try and increase the overall power in the muscle. But if we wanted to work on endurance, we might say go to a Pilates class and do lots of reps with really light weight to to tone the, the muscle in an endurance capacity. And then, if we want to work on speed, we might practice quickly contracting. So. Overall for pregnancy, I'll bring myself back to the question. I've gone on a little bit of a tangent. Um, For pregnancy, it's really important to identify early where your pelvic floor sits on that spectrum so that you can keep an eye out throughout your pregnancy on how the pelvic floor is going so that you can become more in tune with this group of muscles. And that will help throughout the pregnancy delivery and the postnatal period learn how to contract it properly in a variety of different ways and learn how to contract it functionally so that you can integrate it into what you're already doing. I don't think that, you know, eventually once you've learned good pelvic floor contraction that you need to be separating specific time of your day to only do your pelvic floor exercises. But it can be something that you integrate into what you're already doing. So perhaps you're going to the gym so you can contract the pelvic floor when you're doing bicep curls. Or perhaps you're going to a Pilates or a yoga class and you can choose one or two exercises and incorporate specific pelvic floor stuff into that. But with the focus on turning it on and turning it off. And the final thing is that awareness. So knowing where you're at and then keeping an eye out for any symptoms, of course, of if you're underactive and leaking when you cough or sneeze and keeping the overall function of the pelvic floor good, which is going to help with recovery of the pelvic floor postnatally. Because as we do exercises and strengthen the pelvic floor, it brings increased blood supply, increased vascular supply, and therefore that's going to help in the long term with healing postnatally.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. So in regards to... So women who are pregnant, let's say, for example, who are listening to this podcast and then they are kind of sus on, you know, do they is the pelvic floor in good health or is it not? What would they be looking out for specifically? It was the leaking. Um, yeah. So
1: there's the obvious symptoms. So symptoms like leaking when you cough or sneeze, leaking when you jump or run, uh, an inability to make it to the toilet on time without leaking pain Mm. with intercourse, Mm -hmm. pain urinating, even constipation can be a sign that the pelvic floor is overactive and having difficulty letting go. Mm. So those are the main symptoms that we're looking out for. But I always recommend a check in with a women's health physio during pregnancy, because this for starters, it establishes that relationship uh, because they're going to help guide you into the postnatal period. And sometimes I only see them once. I might just go through how to contract the pelvic floor and start them on a basic exercise program, give them a few little tips that they can take into their pregnancy and then not see them until six weeks follow up. Mm -hmm. But for some women, I might identify things like an overactive pelvic floor and have to work with them to manage this, to release the pelvic floor, to teach them good breath technique and to eliminate some of that pain to prepare them for labor.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. So if they're experiencing those symptoms, because some of them do overlap a little bit into what's overactive and what's underactive. So would you say it's best off if they're experiencing those symptoms, they're either high or low on that spectrum and to come see a woman's health physio, hey?
1: I do recommend just a standard routine checkup in pregnancy. Ideally... Uh, in the second trimester because that's the only time that we can do an internal exam but if I do see them in the third or the first trimester then we can still go through how they can self-assess and that way they can get started in their exercise program but the main thing if you're in terms of before they see a physio they can still practice their pelvic floor contraction it's just really important to focus on the ability to turn on as much as the ability to turn it off and make sure that they're focusing on both the on and the off phase Mm -hmm. the contraction
0: and the relaxation awesome so if someone feels like they're kind of nice floating in the middle of that spectrum um And they, for whatever reason, can't see women's health physio, maybe can't afford it or whatever. What can they do to maintain that pelvic floor health in pregnancy?
1: So they could just start to integrate a pelvic floor strength routine into their current exercise routine. So Mm -hmm. as I said, if they're going to the gym, they might be able to start contracting uh, both muscles so co-contraction so i really like to do it with the pulling motion of either a bicep curl or a row but they could also add it to say a leg press or a squat they might practice different functions of pelvic floor so they might do let's say holding the pelvic floor at 50 percent and then doing three leg press mm. and then relaxing the pelvic floor or they might do some maximal contractions with a bicep curl Mm-hmm. or they might just sit and in between reps of an exercise they're doing, they do 10 quick contractions with focus on the contraction and on the relaxin, re, the rela- relaxation phase.
0: Yes. Because it's so more, so much more than just Kegels, isn't it? It's so much more than just like in, out, in,
1: out, in, out. out yes, in out. absolutely. And the other yeah. big tip that I would give them is to practice breathing. It's so important. I think the breath, really has so much to do with overall pelvic floor health. Mm -hmm. Almost all of the women that I do see with an overactive pelvic floor are upper chest breathers. And it's just that relationship between the pelvic floor and the diaphragm Mm. that's not there. So I would say try and add in some contractions when you can, but most importantly, learn how to breathe, Mm -hmm. (laughs) check in and even become familiar with feeling your own pelvic floor. So they can do a self, self-assessment. self They can check that their pelvic floor's working. The first sort of things they can do is try and stop the flow of urine on the toilet. They can actually look in a mirror. So use a mirror and have a look and observe the perineum drawing up and in when the pelvic floor contracts. Or they can insert a finger vaginally and basically feel their pelvic floor. And I think it's so important as women that we become more in tune with this part of our body, especially for delivery and during mm. pregnancy, just to become aware and in touch of, of what it looks like, what normal looks like, mm-hmm. what it feels like to prepare themselves for the perineal stretching and perineal massage, but to actually check in and see what, what's the pelvic floor actually doing if, if, the perineum is tight and painful, it's more than likely that the pelvic floor Mm -hmm. might also be holding tightness and tension.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. In regards to that breathing thing you were saying, it's so funny because yes, people might be upper chest breathers due to anxiety and stress. And I was definitely an upper chest breather up until we did our yoga teacher training and you taught me otherwise. And I remember back uh, when I was a kid and my dad, who's not qualified in exercise or anything at all. He's telling me, did you know that if you hold your core and your abs in at like 30% all the time, that it actually helps you build abs in general? And I was like, Ah, oh, fuck yeah, thank you. I want to do abs and I want nice six pack abs. And then forever since then, just constantly walking around with my core Engage. constantly turned Absolutely. on, not breathing into my belly, all that sort of stuff. It's just so funny. And that, that, um, desire to look skinny and whatever through, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, through keeping that core contracted. It's just so backwards, isn't it?
1: And I think physios are a large part responsible for that because we, as physios, became obsessed for a while with the transversus abdominis and always having that gentle contraction of your core and teaching people basically to hold their core on all the time to try and fix things like lower back pain. and. So we kind of put that idea in people's heads and it's having to we're having to untrain that idea and that concept yeah. and teach people that no muscle in the body is meant to be in a permanent state of contraction. And I have to untrain so many people that are of this belief because of the way we used to teach things in the physio world. And it's basically retraining and people with pain because they're gripping to protect the area might have... You know, a habit of always gently tensing their core or maybe it's out of um, fear of pain or fear of them not being able to relax or maybe it's a self-appearance thing. Mm. There's so many reasons that we do get into this habit of gripping through our belly and that just really promotes the upper chest breathing pattern. So absolutely, it's not just the um stress and anxiety that can contribute. There's so many factors in our world yeah. and as women it's we're just taught to hold our bellies in and yeah. to our tummy so that we can have a flat stomach and look skinny. yeah it's really it's toxic and it's teaching people just to hold tension there all the time. Yeah. And then that's just a spiral effect because then they're starting to breathe into their upper chest. And then that's triggering to the brain a sympathetic nervous system response which yeah. is putting them into a fight and flight. And
0: then it's like, is dream, it the chicken or the egg? Releasing adrenaline, Absolutely. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, it's crazy, isn't it?
1: I think the breath is so undervalued as a, as a prescription and um, yeah. it needs to be given out more often.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, so now, what is the pelvic floor role in labor from your perspective?
1: Yeah. So I think there's a lot we can do to prepare the pelvic floor for birth. For natural vaginal delivery, I think that much like, as I said before, the pelvic floor can hold tone and it can be overactive. And in those cases, it's often to do with a history of direct or indirect trauma or physical or non-physical. So, so there could be direct causes, which might be a history of direct trauma which could be sexual trauma it could be a history of unconsensual sex it could be a history of a physical trauma like a fall onto your tailbone perhaps falling off a horse or falling off a bike we forget that this can cause direct trauma to the area it's like if you've ever had a fall on your elbow or an outstretched arm, the muscles in your shoulder and your arm will tighten up to protect your area. You might have a physical bruise, but you also might have some tightness in the muscles. It's like if you've ever had lower back pain. If you ever hurt your back... It's more than likely that all the muscles in the area have tightened up to protect the area. It's what our natural reaction is. And if you've had a direct fall onto your bottom, whether it's snowboarding, if you've ever been snowboarding, you've probably fallen on your ass half a dozen times. The actual pelvic floor, which is the extension of the towel bone, is going to protect the area. It's going to tighten up. Even a history of lower back pain because of the pain in the lower back, sometimes the pelvic floor, which is the bottom of our core, can actually tighten up as well. And then there's any history of a pelvic surgery. So if you've had uh, a history of endometriosis or something and you've had a laparoscope or if you've had multiple internal exams, there might have been pain on one of those particular occasions. And then there's medical reasons so things like a urinary tract infection or a recurrent thrush infection this history of pain in the area or discomfort where the muscles are going to tighten up to respond to that pain and then you can hold on to some of that tension and then there's things like endometriosis or a history of really recurring painful periods where all the muscles in the area again they're just trying to tighten up to protect the area but it's when it comes to labor and childbirth we need to make sure that those
0: muscles are relaxed so sorry those things can cause an overactive pelvic floor
1: yeah they okay. can cause a, or a hypertonic pelvic floor they can okay. co- cause some tightness in the pelvic floor or maybe the pelvic floor might be underactive but there's still a area of pain so it's yes it can more commonly leads to an overactive pelvic floor but it could also they could also have an underactive pelvic floor but they're storing pain in particular areas it's like saying let's just say for example if you regularly go for a massage say and there's tightness in your shoulder it doesn't necessarily mean that like the muscle can be tight okay which you might feel but the muscle can be loose after a few massages but still sore to touch the same in the pelvic floor, there might be, it might be on all the time, it might be off all the time, but regardless of which one it is, there might be areas of particular pain and tension. And maybe it's because you always ovulated on one side and you always got pain on one side and that particular side got sore or perhaps even, and I see it commonly with people with hip injuries because the deep hip rotators connect almost into the pelvic floor muscles they have had pain in that area and the deep pelvic floor on one side has tightened up to to basically to protect the hip so it can be so many different things that we don't consider it can also be fear like a fear around intercourse a fear around pain or stress an emotional component there can be a traumatic event or a childhood experience There's so many different things that can contribute into the pelvic floor. And I think it comes down to, again, that it's that extension of the tailbone. It's where we hold that stress response and it can respond like any other muscle in the body to any trauma in the past or any specific episode of pain by tightening up and then we just forget about it. We just move on. If you were to injure your lower back before you got back into work and got back into the gym and doing things, you might go and get a massage a few times. Or you might see a physio a few times. They might do some massage. They might do some exercises. They might release it. They'd get you back to that, you know, that healthy state. Whereas the pelvic floor, we just, we forget about it. We don't do anything. We're so disconnected from this area. We like to keep our private parts so private. We just don't even know about our own. Mm-hmm. So, it's the importance of that is that in order to prepare for childbirth for a vaginal delivery often midwives will talk about perineal massage and massaging the pelvic the perineum in order to stretch the tissue to prepare for the crowning of bub's head but what we can do and I think what we should be teaching and advocating for is to actually release the whole pelvic floor internally so if you imagine that the pelvic floor is like a clock and you've got the pubic bone, sorry, the vagina is like a clock face and you've got the pubic bone at the top at 12 o'clock and the perineum at six o'clock,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the pelvic floor, it's like a, a horse shoe shape, it mostly attaches anywhere from three around to six o'clock. Mm -hmm. So if you were to insert your finger or your thumb vaginally and then come onto the side wall, you could come around to 3 o'clock, feel for any areas of pain, and then come around to 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and just take note. How does that feel in my body? Is that painful? Is that excruciating? Does it cause discomfort? Is the right side worse than the left side? And then as we teach with perineal massage, actually getting in at that 35-week mark, and it could be earlier if, if I've identified that there may be some predisposing red flags or risk factors for them having some of these painful areas i might get them to start a little bit earlier but getting in and releasing that pelvic floor internally it might be something that they do with their partner it might be something that their partner does for them or that they do uh, in combination but it's getting in it's identifying pain areas and then allowing the thumb to gently release the area like we do if we were to go for a massage and then connecting in with the brain's perception of, of what that pain is. So if the first intuition is that it's painful and that it feels really painful, it's just the brain responding with threats. So it's retraining the brain's perception of that feeling so that when Bub does start crowning and there's that stretch on the pelvic floor, it's feeling like, oh no, that's that's not pain, it's just a stretching feeling. And that stretching feeling will come if you sit with that pressure and allow the mind to basically reassure the mind that this is safe, this is comfortable, this isn't threatening, I'm not at harm or risk of injuring myself, this is just a gentle stretch feeling. And so teaching women how to do this internal release to prepare the pelvic floor for birth can be really, really important. And then I suppose the other component is, again, reconnecting in with the breath, making sure they can relax the pelvic floor and tune in with the breath so as i said earlier there's the relationship between the respiratory diaphragm and the pelvic floor there's also they say there's four diaphragms in the body there's the pelvic floor the respiratory diaphragm the vocals and there's a diaphragm connecting the right and left hemisphere of the brain and just like the pelvic floor and respiratory diaphragm move together when you speak in a high tone so when you speaking a loud pitch the pelvic floor tone will increase and you can actually feel that if you place your hands on your voice box like either side of that bony high load cartilage mm. and then you sing in a high tone with me oh, oh. you'll feel it lift up yeah and then if you go to a low tone ooh, oh. you'll actually feel it sink down you can feel it
0: crazy and down.
1: yeah So women's health physios have done studies where they've actually done internal exams on women and they've had a look what the effect of of voice and pitch Mm. does on the pelvic floor. And with a high tone voice or a high pitch, it actually increases tone in the pelvic floor. With a Mm. low tone, low pitch, it decreases tone in the pelvic floor. So, and I I know that you've talked a lot about vocalization before. It's this Mm. natural instinct to go into that low tone. The low tone will actually allow the pelvic floor to relax Mm -hmm. and a low tone can also create almost like a back pressure of the diaphragm it's like i think of it like a coffee plunger it creates this downward pressure which actually helps to push the baby out so it's connecting in with this um relationship between the respiratory diaphragm the pelvic floor the vocals and then the brain component when we speak in a high tone like when we're yelling we're putting ourselves into that sympathetic response that fight or flight that um you know running away from a saber-toothed tiger whereas if you're in a low tone that low response you're actually increasing parasympathetic you're Mm. allowing that rest and digest you're basically reiterating to yourself to stay calm to stay relaxed Mm -hmm. and that's signaling to the brain what you want the rest of the body to do so that's where yoga is just absolutely amazing for any pregnant women preparing for labor because it you can teach you so many tools about the breath. It can teach you mantras that you can take in. And even uh, these chanting like OM, it's a really low tone, slow exhale that Mm. they can practice when they um, are doing a yoga class, when they're at home practicing, or or maybe even on the toilet when they're trying to empty their bowels, Mm. that mimicking of the, of the downward pressure that pushes Mm. um, gentle pressure down. So Mm -hmm. there was a physio in the UK that, Coined the term moo before you poo, which is that same thing. It's that low tone, slow, long exhale noise. Um, How good. But even in, in yoga, you can use that sort of subtle ujjayi, low ah, breath. That's the mm. same thing. It's that low tone, it's that long low exhale, symbolizing to the brain to go into the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, getting the diaphragm to drop slightly, which creates that coffee plunger effect. And then last but not least, allowing the pelvic floor to relax. So
0: Absolutely. And you will feel animalistic doing it. You'll be rolling around the floor naked, pregnant, just (laughs) feeling like a beach whale making these tones and it's normal. Let it rip. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Absolutely. And
1: it's so important. There's so much we can do to prepare the pelvic floor for that letting go, that... we need for a vaginal delivery
0: amazing amazing okay so say we've gone through our birth you may have had some complications you may have had a totally normal natural birth experience what should we do postnatally for our pelvic floor and what is its role postnatally the pelvic floor
1: yeah so good question the pelvic floor it's basically it's gone through huge amounts of change so the pelvic floor stretches up to 300 times its resting length During a vaginal delivery, so it's huge amounts of stress, stretch, and so there's so so much importance to repairing it, to protecting it, to strengthening it back up, and even for women that have had a cesarean section, it's still important to practice engaging the pelvic floor to prevent dysfunction. And so often, I actually see that sometimes there'll be an overactivity in the pelvic floor after cesarean section. I feel. Uh, my theory is that perhaps the pelvic floor doesn't get to experience that letting go. It's pre- the body's prepared for a vaginal delivery and it's, the pelvic floor's prepared to let go. And then um, if there's an emergency seizure, it's like the pelvic floor's still in that high tone state, mm. still hasn't had that let go. So it's important whichever delivery you have that, to start strengthening the pelvic floor early. And I usually recommend to my mums to start with every time they're breastfeeding, as long as they're not having any complications at feeding, to try and do 10 contractions of however many weeks that bub is. So one week, one second, two weeks, two seconds, three weeks, three seconds, four weeks, four seconds, all the way up to six weeks Mm -hmm. uh, where they should check in with a women's health physio. I'm even pushing now for earlier than that I'm Mm -hmm. trying to see women over telehealth at three weeks postnatal just so that I can because the earlier we can intervene with some basic breath work and Mm -hmm. some knowledge and pelvic floor the better really Mm -hmm. it's for so long I have seen women that wait till that six week mark and they come to see me and they've haven't done a single thing because they've been told not to do anything for six weeks they're not coping mentally because they haven't allowed themselves to move in any way and they're not sure what they should be doing. So we're kind of starting f- from the beginning. Whereas if we can teach mm-hmm. them these tools in pregnancy, teach them what they should be doing in the early period and then get them started with some basic diaphragmatic breathing. Cause that mm-hmm. breath is what's going to stretch the pelvic floor gently. It's going to mm-hmm. mobilize the scar tissue of either the caesarean section or the perineum and it might be really unnatural at first because they might have pain in the area. So they might want to start breathing into their upper chest. Their pelvic floor might be tightening because of uh, an episiotomy or perineal tears. So they're in pain and they're trying to protect the area. So dropping back, it's the same principles, teaching women how to breathe again starting to do some really gentle contractions with breastfeeding, practicing, engaging, on and off. Get it slowly Mm -hmm. to build up the endurance again while it's healing, while it's returning to its resting length. And then that six-week checkup is so important because we can identify risk factors for a pelvic organ prolapse. And we can pick up what the pelvic floor is doing at that stage. We can go through specific to them what... Is their risk of um, prolapse of incontinence what's the risk of tightening around the pelvic floor do they need to start some gentle scar tissue massage so mobilizing the scar around the perineum or the pesiotomy scar or maybe it's mo- mobilizing the c-section scar just to make sure that we're properly breaking down that scar tissue and then it's a matter of teaching the pelvic floor to be more dynamic like we did in pregnancy. And if you've already learned these tools in pregnancy, then you can take them straight back into the postnatal period. You can start doing them stuff, start, start incorporating them with other things that you're doing. And then it's a matter of uh, adding that to a program, starting to be more functional, checking for any abdominal separation that they might have, and then tailoring the exercises specific to them, specific to where they're at in their journey, specific to how they're, postnatal recovery is going what sort of delivery they had did they have any complications what are their risk factors and then individually categorizing them okay i want you to do these things because this is where you're at and one one woman might be able to get straight back to exercise um over that six to twelve week period and another woman might have to you know still sit with Things do some more specific exercises that I'm tailoring to her body to get her ready for that maybe 12 week return so it's just so individual and that's where my role is so important in that postnatal period because not one birth looks the same and you would know that as a midwife and therefore not one recovery can look the same and Uh we that we can't give blanket statements for when we no. start doing things again you we just need have to see
0: your women's health physio yeah six weeks postnatal six weeks <laughs> or
1: even three weeks over yeah. daily health because then we can just start getting them breathing we can start doing yeah. floor stuff and then so often it is this that you want someone to talk to and tell that birth experience and mm. and go through it and feel supported because so often It's just this idea and feeling that we just have no idea what we're meant to be doing because Mm. no one really tells us you get discharged from the hospital and it's like, okay, good luck. Like, see your doctor. He'll look, look at your baby and do your weights and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. But what about you? What about the woman? How Mm. are we dealing with the recovery of the woman? And I actually saw, I saw a post on Instagram once and it was basically a comparison between the specific laid out recovery post, um, knee surgery of an athlete broken down into the repair phase, the healing phase, the, um, functional phase. And it was weeks zero to three weeks, three to six weeks, six to nine weeks, nine to 12. And it was Mm -hmm. very specifically identifying what they should and shouldn't be doing. And it was very targeted and very protocol based. And then next to that, it said, uh, postnatal zero to six weeks, do nothing. Six plus do everything, so yeah. it's just
0: like this comparison or CC, see, see child health nurse, yeah. but nothing for the mum,
1: nothing for the mum, nothing like every time they come in to see me, they're just like, I don't know what I'm meant to be doing, like, I don't know when I can go back to exercise. And the fact that then they don't know means that so often women do they. Just start getting straight back into CrossFit or running, and perhaps that might then put them at a high risk. And then I might see them two or three years later with a prolapse. Yeah. Then they're like, Well, why didn't anyone tell me this stuff? Exactly. Why is it that no one told me? And I hate hearing that. And that is a statement that I hear a lot from my postmenopausal women. Why didn't anyone tell me that? I think the biggest change at the moment is that social media is pushing out this education and women now are understanding that there is so much that they need to be doing. But I want to be a big part of that educating of women to actually seek advice, to get the right help so that we can tailor things specifically to them so that they're not living in this sort of idea that they might have had no idea and then ended up doing harm to their body or not feel like they're supported in that journey and not feel like they have that continuity of
0: care. Mm. Mm. And that's the thing that they're, they're doing what they feels right. Like these little fitness buddies are after pregnancy. They've been so debilitated in pregnancy from doing what they would normally do. They're like, cool, I'm going to get straight back into the gym. Not even necessarily for aesthetic reasons of getting their body back, but just thinking that they're being healthy. They're looking after their mental health. So they think they're doing the right thing. It's
1: Absolutely. You know, yeah. like a, as
0: you would. Yeah. So it, that's really hard. That's really hard.
1: And but even their mental health, like you've got to understand that sometimes these women just need to get back and need to start doing things. And that's where if we can check in, if we identify that they might have a little bit of anterior wall laxity, or perhaps they've had a forceps delivery and their risk of prolapse is higher. Mm. We can start, if, if, the, if running is the only thing that's going to keep them sane, then we can say, okay, well... You are a high risk. I would recommend probably waiting till 12 weeks and strengthening your pelvic floor. But if that's not an option, we can look at a pessary, which is, Mm -hmm. it's like a, um, most common one is a a ring, which is kind of like a silicon device, like a calamari ring, almost like a menstrual cup that's inserted vaginally, it holds everything up and it's just that protection. It's just splinting the wall so that they can go running and they can not worry about things and. They can get back into it, but we can know that they're
0: still supported and they're not at risk of prolapse. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I just wanted to ask one last question as well. What would, tell us about abdominal separation, how that happens, um, what like the normalness or not so normalness of it is and how we can fix it. Mm
1: -hmm. So abdominal separation is completely normal during pregnancy. And I can't stress that enough because so many women come to see me and they're like, I've got abdominal separation. And it's, it is completely normal. There's no other way for the abdomen to expand when the belly grows, but for those rectus abdominis muscles, which are our six pack muscles to expand and to stretch the layer of tissue and fascia in between, which is called the linear alba. Mm. Then what should naturally happen is over the following three months postnatally, the tissue should return to its normal integrity, which will look different. It will definitely look different to it did pre, pre baby. Um, But the integrity in the tissue should return and the muscles should come back together. And it's when they don't that people start to worry. And even then, the research and the studies coming out are showing that there's still not a lot of impairment or dysfunction that's happening as a result of a minor abdominal separation, that it's actually just an aesthetic concern. And fair enough, if they want their abdominals to look a little bit closer together if they want that sort of pre-baby stomach. But knowing that that's actually, it's very uncommon for them to have Mm. significant dysfunction. But if we can address it in the first early first three months, that's going to be the best chance of recovering and healing. So there's a few things that we can do. I think the first thing is compression. Compression certainly helps. At uh, the hospital, they'll normally be discharged with a um, grip, which is like a piece of bandage that goes around the stomach. Now, the only downside of this, I think, is that it's almost like squeezing around a water balloon. So the pelvic floor and the whole abdominal cavity is like a water balloon. We've got the diaphragm at the top, which we've talked about, the pelvic floor at the bottom, the deep tummy muscles at the front and the deep back muscles at the back. So... If we place something just around the middle, we're squeezing the middle without giving the pelvic floor that mm. nice support and protection. So that's where things like tights, um, there is a few brands out there that make specific maternity, postnatal compression tights. But even just like your sucky and undies from Kmart would suffice. Mm. Like just giving yourself ah. that little bit of extra extra support, extra compression, which can be quite nice around the perineum as mm. well. Um, and then that support around the... Um, abdomen which most women will say feels quite comfortable and they'll naturally tend towards that tighter clothing Mm. and that will help to hold the rectus abdominis a little bit closer so it can naturally heal on its own Mm. the next thing is managing interabdominal pressures which is really important postnatally and it's important for the pelvic floor as well if you imagine squeezing that water balloon the Pressure will normally go to the weakest point. So the weakest point might be at the front or it might be the pelvic floor. And that, if you imagine if they've got an abdominal separation, their pelvic floor strong, the weakest point will be in the middle there. And that's when women Mm. might get some doming. So making sure that they're not holding their breath, um, making sure you've got good bowel management. So make sure that you're managing your bowels, you are not constipated because straining is like squeezing that water balloon. Mm. And then strengthening the pelvic floor first, strengthening the pelvic floor will automatically create this co-contraction of the transversus abdominis, which Mm. will help. And then we can start adding in things um, like gentle head lifts and leg lifts, depending on where they're at and how their breath control is.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Do you think in pregnancy, doing some gentle (sighs) core work can be helpful for reducing... Abdo separation
1: yes i think well i strongly recommend not to do concentric so shortening work of the rectus abdominis mm. okay which if you imagine the rectus abdominis runs from the bottom of the chest bone down to the pubic bone and when that starts to stretch it pulls apart so then if you do something like a sit-up or a head lift the muscles will pull from the origin to the insertion and it will actually pull apart mm. so that can lead to I guess, increased risk of separation if Mm -hmm. you're doing that sort of activity. Mm -hmm. Whereas the muscles like the obliques, which run across the body from hip to um, opposite rib, Mm. they will actually provide a compressive nature. So if if we're strengthening them, they'll pull across and they'll actually draw in. So some gentle contraction and relaxation of um, our obliques, some strengthening of the pelvic floor. I think that all can help absolutely. And it can help more than anything prevent uh things like pelvic girdle pain that is common during pregnancy because we can strengthen all that it'll provide that extra support that extra compression um that we often need taking into that third trimester if there's a little bit of increased uh ligament laxity in the tissue and the pelvis so
0: absolutely absolutely um so i had this lady once back in my early days of midwifery and she was just post like had her baby a couple hours ago. And it was literally like her rectus abdominis had fallen to the sides and you could see her bowel and everything in her belly. And it was just moving. Her belly was involuntary moving with the bowel. So what happened there? Was that her linear alba had literally separated completely, not just stretched? Or what do you think of that?
1: Yeah, so when we assess a rectus, um, diastasis, which is abdominal separation, we look for the tissue integrity and there's definitely different lines of fascia. And sometimes if it is, usually I don't see this unless it's, um, you know, maybe the third or fourth baby, or maybe they've had twins or maybe there was some major stretching, um, to get that kind of level of stretching. But Mm. what I will assess is the integrity of the tissue underneath my finger. So at first, um, there's different stages of integrity. So what you were seeing is that the tissue had really stretched out to the point that there was probably only a very thin layer of fascia. It's, it was still connected, but mm-hmm. it stretched so much to the point where, yeah, the rect- the rectus abdominis muscles are sitting more uh, laterally, more to the sides. And what we're sitting is a, seeing is a thin layer of fascia that sits basically over the top of the um, abdominal organs. There's still going to be a layer of a thin layer of transversus abdominis, so underneath. Mm. So our rectus abdominis are our superficial abdominal Mm -hmm. muscles, so they're our six-pack muscles. Underneath uh, we've got our transversus abdominis. So you will see the stretching, the thinning of the fascia, and then a thin line of transversus, and then underneath that you might see and feel a little bit of bulging or movement sometimes right around the umbilicus Mm. um umbilical hernias are not uncommon postnatally Mm. and that's when you actually will get a protruding a bulging out of Mm. that's where there is a hole in the fascia essentially okay and that's sometimes you can see a little bit of protruding Mm. internal abdominal organ or internal whatever's Mm. in there and that can get worse if they have been pushing or if they're holding their breath if they're constipated there's yeah. lots of things if they're trying to sit up without rolling onto their side all of these things just create that extra pocket so it could have been one of either of those things mm. it was then.
0: yeah interesting interesting well thank you so much for joining me on the Appetence Family Podcast thanks for having me pleasure having you And that's a wrap to our episode with Caitlin. Thank you so much for listening. I really hoped you learned a thing or two as well. I know I definitely did. So if you fall into that category we discussed where you're second trimester or you are postnatal to have an appointment at three to six weeks, I really recommend going to see Caitlin. She is just epic at what she does. You can book a consult with her either on her website, which is www.herwomenshealth.com or on her Instagram, which is her full stop women's health. Um, she does local Sunshine Coast appointments as well as online appointments as well, which are fantastic because they're all super individualized to the specific woman and what she's experiencing. And if you are interested and you're a local on the Sunshine Coast, reminding you that we both have a workshop coming up together on the 21st of August. So if you want to learn more about the pelvic floor and you want to learn about the immediate postnatal breastfeeding tips and tricks as well, I really recommend you tuning into that. Alrighty, catch up with you later.